1: When along the way of our journey, we encounter that deep psychic complex that reaches beyond everything we know, and it brings us to our knees with a loud, I can't. What about those anxieties, those fears, those angers, those impulses that seem to be beyond our ability to stop them, to heal them, to overcome them? Well, today we're going to be talking about these very things. We're going to explore the wisdom of how to heal that which is beyond help. You want to be here for the whole show today because we're going to be talking about those issues that really do catch us, grab us, pin us to a corner and keep us from being able to move. So you're going along your journey. You're, you know, you're doing pretty good. You're meditating. You're able to access some kind of deeper peace. You are uh, more and more familiar with your own inner psyche You're more and more familiar with your connection to the divine. You're more and more familiar with nature. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, maybe triggered by something external, but maybe not. You uh, encounter this huge inner dilemma that seems to grab hold of you and slam you to the floor and hold you down. And you're screaming, uncle, uncle, please get off of me. It's, a, it's one of those complexes. So what do I mean by the word complex? And we'll, we'll talk some more about this. But right now, just sort of a basic overview. A complex is a, is a um, psychic construct. It's a part of your mind, if you will, that is all tangled up and convoluted. And uh, it thinks irrationally. It thinks dysfunctionally. It thinks in ways that... Um, are about self-betrayal rather than self-love. And it it doesn't seem to understand that it's doing that. And so, uh, you know, I think of a complex as like a ball of yarn. Yarn, If you drop it on the floor, you know, it comes all wrapped up neatly, very, very machine-like, re- re- wrapped up, sewed together, and then you drop it on the floor, and it rolls all over the floor, and then you try to put it back like it was, and you just can't it just never goes back like it was. It's all this big ball of messy clumped up yarn now. And, uh, and it won't be the same ever again. And that's kind of like a complex is. We come here, uh, you know, whole and things happen along the way, either prenatally or uh, after birth and are either in that prenatal environment or that after birth and infantile and toddlerhood and young childhood environment where we are uh, taught to think less of ourselves, taught to misunderstand ourselves, taught to negate ourselves, taught to become invisible, taught that we're object of somebody else's abuse, taught that we are a thing instead of a person, all kinds of things that we're taught to identify with that aren't actually who we are. But now the yarn has been spilled on the floor, and we may try to put it together. And the only way we can do that is to formulate an identity around it and to say, okay, this is who I am now. And so we formulate identities. We become superwoman. We become victim. We become bad guy. We become good guy. We become superhero. We become rescuer. We become all kinds of potential identities, scapegoat. And, and we, we, don't, uh, we aren't living into who we are anymore. Now we're living into this identity because that's how we work with this complex. But at some point, as we go deeper and deeper into the psyche through meditation and through understanding ourselves and encountering ourselves and mindfulness and all those things that we do as spiritual practices that help us to get in touch with who we are at that deepest, most essential level, we have to encounter those things, those complexes. That are very, very difficult to, to encounter. So I want to tell you a story to start this off today. Um, but before we do that, I want to mention Thomas Moore's beautiful book, The Gospel of Mark. Um, I'm going to have Thomas back on the show again. He doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to have him back on the show again to talk about his different. He's written four different books, one on each of the Gospels, in which he he really Un, uh, tries to understand it from uh, more or less the root language of the of the text, but also uh, from the perspective of not morality, but spirituality. And as you know, if you've listened to my show, there's a difference between those two. There's a big difference between morality and spirituality. For morality tells us what we should do, spirituality tells us who we are. And that's the big difference. And And we could go into a lot of detail about that, but that's for a whole other show. Um, what, one of the things that I encountered, I was just reading his beautiful book, The Gospel of Mark, and uh, one of the things that I encountered was uh, the Greek language for an unclean spirit. Uh, you know, we don't like to think about these things. We don't like to think about the unclean spirits that are mentioned in the text of the Gospels of the Christian Bible. Um, but and they're not just mentioned in the Christian Bible. They're mentioned in other uh, sacred texts around the world as well. But they're mentioned in the Bible, and we've tried to sort of scientize those and say that, well, they're just epilepsy or they're just this or that or the other. But what he says, the actual Greek language means, and this is, this is one of those root words that I haven't looked up and was surprised to find his beautiful interpretation. Uh, is the, word, the actual Greek word is pneuma, Akatharton. So that is, a, pneuma is breath, and uh, akathartan is, uh, the eye on that is without, and kathartan is catharsis. So that is a breath or a spirit that has not had a catharsis. So your breathing, uh, I like to think of pneuma. Pneuma is the word that's very commonly used for the word spirit, the way we interpret the word spirit. And I like to really just call that a breath. Because it's a breath, it's a way of breathing that has not had a catharsis. And so what is a way of breathing is a way of living. It's a way of, of being in this world that has not had a catharsis. And what is that but a complex? Okay, so um, this unclean spirit that's referred to very commonly in the texts of the Bible, uh, particularly the Gospels, is is I I a part of our psychology that has never catharted. Now what do we mean by catharsis? A catharsis is a release. It very commonly comes with a big emotional release like a lot of crying, maybe a big anger, uh, maybe a lot of fear. Something is coming up that needs to be released and it comes up and it just forms in your psyche and you have to look at it. You have to be present with it. You have to allow it to release because it will not let go of you until you do. So sometimes I hear clients say to me that they've they've been crying and they don't know why. And I want to sit with those that crying and try to help them understand what's going on. What's the message behind that crying? Because the message is the catharsis. The crying is an emotion. And sometimes if they'll stay with the crying, it reveals its message to them. They begin to understand why they're crying. When they're still at the place of not knowing why they cry, they haven't had a catharsis yet. So, uh, what basically do we we have been taught to do with our tears is to uh, repress them, try to push them away, block them out, try not to cry because crying is being a baby, crying is being weak, crying is being, you know, uh, shameful in some kind of way. So, uh, but what that does is block the catharsis. It means that we're not able to really have that experience of the catharsis. So, I want to tell you a story, and it's from the text of the Bible. So, if you don't like the Bible, just think of it as a story. It's just a story. And I'm going to read it from the text of Mark, where where they're talking about this unclean spirit. So, what's happened is, um, Jesus and his disciples have just come back from the transfiguration. If you don't know that story, I encourage you to read it. It's in Mark chapter 9. Uh, where they are, act- they actually have a vision, uh, a very, very deeply spiritual vision. So they're coming back from that, and they encounter this large crowd. And he hears them talk. Jesus hears them talking, and says, "What are you talking about with them?" And one of the crowd answered him and said, "Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth, and it stiffens out." And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And uh, it has often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can. All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Why did I read that story? Well... It's just full of so much that has to do with what I call the dark night of the soul. And, of course, I'm not the only one that calls it the dark night of the soul. There are many people who talk about a dark night of the soul. I'm going to read you something that Caroline Mice says, and then we'll come back to that story. Caroline Mice says, a dark night of the soul is when you feel lost, ungrounded, and abandoned. Many people assume and often mistake the dark night for Depression or that it emerges into one's life following an emotional crisis such as divorce. But a dark night will often enter a person's life in the midst of their most joyous time. It's always profound, but not necessarily catastrophic, and it provides an opportunity to hear the voice of guidance. You may begin to meditate, read spiritual material, or become a vegetarian, and now you feel your efforts should be rewarded. When that doesn't happen, you experience the breakdown of your concepts of the divine, which always includes the core of your expectations of the divine. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the mystical path is the same as a spiritual practice. Mysticism is an all-consuming relationship with the divine. It is essential to understand the need to develop the consciousness to tell the difference between high-voltage guidance and your own personal ambition. She goes on to say, The dark night of the soul is a journey into light. A journey from your darkness into the strength and hidden resources of your soul. So she's saying two things there. She says that it's really dark. It's very uncomfortable. It's also an opportunity to hear the voice of guidance. And it leads us to the light. On the other hand, it also makes us be very, very discerning about the different uh, things within our psyche so that we don't get our own guidance mixed up with our own high-voltage guidance from the divine mixed up with our own personal ambition, so that we don't get mysticism mixed up with spiritual practice. And there's a lot of other things we could get mixed up, and we've talked about some of those in other other uh, shows. But um, what she's basically saying there is it is a time that is so deep in the psyche that we have to become familiar with, with those invisible lines between things, those very thin lines between consciousness and unconsciousness, between guidance from the divine and our own personal ambition, between our identity and the authentic self. These are things that we begin to be able to discern because we are so internalized during the dark night of the soul that we have to understand that. But what leads us to the dark night of the soul is often this numa Akathartan, this unclean spirit. And so it is that, that uh, the first thing that we notice here in this story is that Jesus and his disciples have just come off of this amazing transfiguration experience that had to be so spiritually uh, powerful that they felt like they were totally transformed and would then not encounter anything at all that would be negative after that. I mean that's what we tend to do. That we have these great spiritual experiences, and then we go, we begin to think, as Caroline Mice hints at, that that we that we are, uh, you know, believing that now we'll never have anything difficult to encounter again because we've overcome it all through this deep spiritual experience. Well, what happens immediately after that is that the disciples encounter this uh, this man with the unclean, who's got a son with an unclean spirit. And they cannot cast out that uh, that that unclean spirit. Now they have been given by Jesus the power to cast out spirits and to heal people, and to raise people from the dead, just as we all have been given those same powers as Jesus uh, declared that he, whatever he did, we could do even more after he was gone. So um, he they have these powers, and uh, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus basically uh, heals the young man. And then when they come to ask Jesus, why couldn't they cast out the demon, the, the unclean spirit? Jesus says, it, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So in other words, it's too big for, for our little psyches to handle. It has to be completely grounded in divine energy in order to work. It only works through prayer. It only works through the power of the divine. It doesn't work through our own personal power. And that is what people begin to encounter in the dark night of the soul. They begin to encounter that part of themselves that, that is both, both parts of themselves, both the part of themselves that is completely caught up in the complex and another possibility that standing right next to, with a very thin line between them, there's this, this other spirit, this other breath this other potential that is completely divine, sitting right next to the complex, is this potential for divine, for the divine. There's another story that I like to think about um, in the Gospels. It's the story of Doubting Thomas, that very often our evangelical leaders and, and people that are uh, misleading will tell people that, oh, you don't want to be like Doubting Thomas because he was, uh, you know, he's something to be ashamed of because, you know, he... He doubted Jesus. Well, what actually happened when da- when Thomas doubted Jesus was that Thomas was, was allowed to put his hand in Jesus' wounds. And now, that's a pretty intimate response from Jesus. Jesus did not, you know, say, you're a bad person, get out of my sight, I don't like you anymore, you can't be my disciple. He didn't say any of that. He said, here, put your hand in my side. That's a very intimate moment, and we get those. We get those intimate moments because of doubt. We don't get those because of clarity. We already have the clarity. We don't need to put our hands in the, on his side. But in this instance, and I speak of these stories only in metaphor. I don't know whether his, they're historically accurate or not, but the metaphor there is that we get so close to the, to the divine energy when we doubt, just like we're so close to... To the divine energy when we go through a dark night of the soul why because there's nothing else that will work there's nothing else that will help in my own personal life when i have encountered this kind of really for me it's a really scary kind of energy um, what happens is that i really have to reach out to the divine over and over and over and over again to get closer and closer and closer to the divine and sometimes I'm able to immediately access that. And sometimes it takes some time for me to be able to do that. But but I'm able eventually to get to that place where I know that there's nothing else that will help. Nothing else that will help. And and uh, so this, this um, dark night of the soul is what we'll be talking about today. For it's those things, those anxieties, those fears, those depressions, those angers, those impulses that seem to be beyond our ability to stop them to heal them, to overcome them that that we're talking about today that seem to be bigger than our capability of, of working with them. And those of us in the mental health field know that there are these things that we just have to live with. Um, sometimes there's medication for those things. Sometimes there's things that we can do, some techni- techniques that we can offer. But beyond that, it's, it's, it's beyond us, and it may be beyond the patient or the client it may be something only the divine can heal. So, um, so we want to we want to spend some time talking about this numa akathartan today, the spirit that has not had a catharsis, the breath that has not had a catharsis, and we want to talk about the wisdom of, of that healing, how how that goes on. So we'll be back right after this message.
0: Your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The White House doctor makes house calls. Our nation's educational system is undergoing constant change as technology and society are redefining the system as we have known it. On Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton, we provide parents with the resources they need to understand and become a part of the educational experience for their children. Through engaging guests, news, interactive discussions, and innovative ideas, it's everything that parents should know about school. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building, yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A Shared Journey Equals Success. And every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living. With Andrea Matthews, we want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back. I want to talk to you first before we go any further into our study today about uh, Super Soul Sunday coming up this Sunday, November the 5th, 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific and 10 a.m. Central. In a special edition, Oprah Winfrey presents her new book, The Wisdom of Sundays, through an episode filled with clips of her most memorable aha moments from Super Soul Sunday throughout the years. It's a soul-stirring celebration from a remarkable group of thought leaders, including visionary and spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle, Professor, political activist and Holocaust survivor Eli Weasel, American poet and civil rights activist Maya Angelou, scholar and best-selling author Brené Brown, international speaker and entrepreneur Tony Robbins, and many more. So you don't want to miss this. Here's a clip from that show.
0: Here's the lesson. When you find yourself in a new situation, a new circumstance, a new life experience, everything that requires healing is gonna to rush to the surface. Woo! And if you don't take a minute to breathe, to gather yourself, to pray, you will do what you've always done. Yeah. So you've gotta be clear enough, grounded enough, centered enough to say, how am I gonna handle it this time? That's right. So the lesson is, pause. Okay, Mm -hmm. we go from being 20 to 30 without a pause, 30 to 40 without a pause. Mm -hmm. We go from one job to the next, from one bed to the next, from one everything, pause boo. How many times have you needed to press pause like Iyanla suggests? Mindfulness also means turning down the volume of noise and chatter and tuning in to our inner voice. Now, some people know that inner voice as instinct or you call it intuition. I now call it our spiritual GPS. Every right decision I've ever made has come from listening to my gut. Or my spiritual GPS. Every wrong decision was a result of me dismissing that thing, that still small voice within me. So staying present actually helps you begin to hear your own GPS.
1: Staying present, well, that's about what we're talking about today. We're gonna to be taught, we're gonna be using those exact terms in a few minutes. And I loved what uh Iyanla Van Levanzant had to say about pausing because that's also very relevant to our show today. But I want you to tune in Super Soul Sunday, November the 5th, 11 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific, and 10 a.m. Central uh, this coming Sunday. So be there for that. It sounds like a beautiful show, and I'm anxious to read her book also, The Wisdom of Sundays. Okay, so we've been talking about these things that seem to be impossible to heal. These things that keep presenting, either they keep coming up in our life, we we Find ourselves back in the same old corner over and over again, or we we hit this place where beyond our knowing, beyond our understanding, something comes up. And and the way uh, Ian Van aunt just described that in in our clip was, she said every time we hit something new, all the old stuff comes up to the surface. And I think there's a remarkable truth to that. That that at least we become conscious of some of that old stuff. That it and then we, we can we can either deal with it the way we've always dealt with it or we can do something different And that challenge to do something different is a calling from our souls to come closer to that mindfulness that Oprah was talking about that allows us to just be present enough to hear our internal guidance system. So we'll be talking about that but you know none of that makes sense. When you're in this very, very fragile place in the dark night of the soul, when that unclean spirit, that uh, uh, breath without a catharsis, that numa akathartan comes up, it takes over the psyche. Uh, it 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 allow it makes us everything that we understood previously fragile and breakable in front of it. It makes it seem like none of our spiritual practices will work, just like they didn't work for the disciples in this case that we read. It makes it feel like there is no, nothing to do but turn to the divine. There's nothing possible to do but turn to the divine. And that's why these moments are so very important. And that's why I think, metaphorically speaking, it's so interesting that this story comes about right after the transfiguration, which was a high spiritual moment in the lives of the disciples. And I'm sure in Jesus' life as well. So, um, you know, people say we reach the dark night of the soul very commonly, as, uh, as uh, Caroline Mice said, uh, in the midst of our most joyous time or in, in the midst of a deep spiritual experience or right after a deep spiritual experience. These things happen as a result of coming closer to the divine. And what's happening is those complexes that are still in there are getting stirred around so that we, they come forward into our conscious experience, and now they seem to take over the psyche. And because they've taken over the psyche, we have to turn to the divine, because that's all that we have. That's all that will work. There's nothing else. There's no practice. There's no casting out of demons. There's no healing. There's nothing that we can do, even with our most remarkable powers that will work. The only thing that will work is prayer, according to our metaphorical text that Prayer or turning to the divine is what I think prayer is. It's a turning to the divine to just say, okay, here I am. This is where I'm at. This is what's going on inside of me. I see it. I feel it. It's awful. I don't like it. But here it is. And I'm here with you in it. So I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to let you figure out what to do with it because I can't. I can't. There's an I in me that cannot through any technique through any power of my own, do this thing. And there's another I in me, that is the I am, that has all the power, and that's my soul. And that is the divine in us, the divine that is uh, for all the universe. And so, um, and so, looking at the metaphor in this story, it's very interesting that this unclean spirit seizes the boy and it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and then he stiffens out. Well, we know that to be today. We know that to be an epileptic seizure. But metaphorically speaking, let's look at what's going on there. Is it he's unable to stop his body from doing what it does? He's unable to stop his body from doing what it does. This is what can happen with addiction, we are unable to stop ourselves from going to get another drink or another drug. We're unable, we're incapacitated. The addiction has taken over. It's an unclean spirit. It's a pneuma-akathartan. and so we are we are uh, incapacitated in that way. And then it stiffens him out. So he's and, and it, that same thing is described after the. After the unclean spirit is cast out, that same thing is described again, that he looks so much like a corp that, corpse that everybody thought he was dead. And we can have that kind of life. We can be so uh, dead to being alive that we, we're we unable to live. This is one of the things that I see commonly with the deep, deep, deep depression, now, I want to say that sometimes we can get enamored of depression and it hangs around because we, we think it's the most powerful thing. But there are other times when the depression overtakes us in a dark night of the soul that it's, it's, it's just simply bigger than we are. We're not enamored of it. We don't even like it. But we, do, uh, we, do, um, we are incapacitated by it. It, it controls our lives. And we don't want that. And so the only thing that we can do with that is bring it to to our deepest soul, bring it to the divine within us. So um, now, you know, I, I certainly uh, don't go about the business of praying with my clients in therapy. I don't uh, do that. I think that's theirs to do. Um, I do not, I don't think that would be, uh, that's me kind of, telling them what I need I want them to do I don't want to do that I want them to sort of come to this on their in their own process in their own way so I don't do that uh, I do pray for all of my clients and that I do that in private but I but I I do think that you know there is a way in which we have to all uh, face the fact that there are things that are bigger in our psyches things in our psyches that are bigger, than the identity that we have put on to deal with them. And they have to be bigger or we will never lose that identity. Um, So superwoman, let's talk about superwoman. When children are very, very afraid, they are often put on the role of superwoman. Now they can also put on the role of victim, or uh, because they just can't seem to get beyond the fear, and they get other people to take care of them, and they see that this works, and so they continue to do that because it works to get people to take care of them. But in the case of Superwoman, Superwoman becomes super, so that she can overcome um, any fear. She doesn't have to feel fear anymore because she's bigger than the fear. She is a Superwoman. She can. You know, uh, do the laundry and get the house clean, and and uh, go to work and work hard all day, work a you know, eight ten hour day, and come home and take care of the kids, and still be great in bed that night. And she is superwoman. She's always taking care, of making sure everybody gets what they need. She cannot understand people that are what she would call lazy. She cannot understand people that are uh, don't don't take responsibility for their lives. This is just beyond her. She just can't understand it. And yet she finds herself attracted over and over again to people who are irresponsible and what she would call lazy. And she just doesn't understand how she keeps getting involved with these types of people. Well, the reason she gets involved with these types of people is because she needs somebody in the external world to help her prop up that identity as Superwoman. And who to prop it up best is somebody who needs her to take care of them. So she starts taking care of them. But she resents it the entire time she's taking care of them. She wants uh, them to step up and do it themselves, but she can't get them to do that because that's not their role. That's not their identity. That's her identity. And so she lives this life of, 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 you know, strength. And, you know, people will say, oh, you're so strong. You can handle anything. Don't worry about it. You got this. Um, when she's really troubled, there's nobody there for her because everybody thinks she's super, super strong and she's already got it figured out. Um, so that's Superwoman. But when Superwoman has been trying very hard to be, uh, become aware of who she is and become more aware of, of her identity as Superwoman, very commonly what will happen is that fear that she was originally trying to get rid of by becoming Superwoman comes the order of the day that fear takes over and she becomes very fragile in front of that fear she feels that she can't do anything uh she she can't accomplish anything there's nothing that she's not afraid of she's overwhelmed by that fear it encompasses her world there's nothing that seems possible and though she she's right very next right next to that is an awareness, if she's been practicing any spiritual practices, right next to that is uh, an awareness of the Divine. She can look at the sky or the trees and or the, uh, you know, flowers or nature or animals and, and begin to see the Divine all around her. And she can see it, but that fragility keeps her from being able to grasp it. And so she, that's the dark night of the soul. She can see the Divine she can see it everywhere around her, but she can't grasp it. She can't own it. She can't make it a part of her, and it feels very frustrating. Uh, so all she can do is sit with that, sit with that place, that thin line between I can't and and the power of the divine, the deep empowerment of the divine, and sit right there and be present with it and allow it to be what it is until the divine begins to move into that fragile place and heal it and take over, because it's the divine. It's divine work. It's not human work. It's not work that we can do. It's the the um, the numa that only prayer can deal with. It's the spirit that has not had a catharsis that that is can either have a catharsis. And, and, and this eruption from the psyche is that catharsis, or it can begin to be healed by the divine just seeping slowly into it and allowing it to take over and and be and heal that place. So you might think of it like a crack. You know, I've heard about um, some Indian pottery that they, they heal the crack in the pottery with gold, and it sticks together much better that way. I'm not sure it's really pottery, it might be glassware, but either way it's gold that they heal the crack with. And so that, that understanding helps us to know that the gold can, can, is, is just such a precious jewel to us that, that that speaks of how, metaphorically, how the divine seeps into those cracks in our, in our psyches where there's a pneuma, a cathartan, a spirit that has not had a catharsis, a breath that cannot cathart. Um, and that, that, that is the measure of the dark night of the soul, that it feels impossible to deal with. And that very impossibility is what uh, Jesus was talking about when he said, uh, you know, if you can, you know, the Father comes to him and he says, but if you can do this, and if you can do anything, then take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if I can do anything, really? <laughs> I think that's a real interesting conversation that they have there. But then he says, all things are possible to him who believes. So how do you get to belief when you're overwhelmed by this pneuma akathartin? Uh, uh, it seems impossible to get to the belief that you can heal. It seems impossible to affirm it enough. It seems impossible to work with that disbelief enough. It seems impossible to believe when everything in you doesn't believe anymore because it's been snatched away by this numa Akathartan. And that's what happens in the dark night of the soul. Everything that believes is snatched away. That's put on another side, somewhere beyond the, the, the complex. The mind has moved into the complex now. And the mind is operating solely in the complex. It's not operating out of its healthiness. It's operating completely out of its dysfunctional beliefs. And so it seems impossible to find belief. So our story tells us the answer to that as well. And again, whether you believe the Bible or not, this is a great metaphorical story. Uh, And it just says... Uh, That the man said to Jesus, Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. And the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I love that. I love that statement because what he's saying there is, I'm trying so hard to believe. Please help me believe. And what he's saying there is the divine has to help us believe. Even our belief at this point when we're dealing with the pneuma akathartan. Our belief has to be given to us by the divine, even that. So uh, that is a precious story that really informs us of how we deal with these dark nights of the soul. We lean entirely, completely, and absolutely on the divine for everything, for the breath, for the very breath that we breathe. And that's how it becomes a pathway to the light. And we're going to be talking about that light right after the break.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you're ready for big changes in less than one month's time, you're ready to tune in for Radical Change Now with Dr. Mary Oz. It's where healing meets the law of attraction in an engaging package. You'll hear from guests and callers as they share their stories, offer solutions to life's challenges, and much more. With Dr. Mary's approach, even a child could effectively learn and apply the concepts discussed on each week's show. Listen live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Life carries many uncertainties. Just when we think we may know where we are headed or think we have what we need, life happens and we are redirected. Join host Trina Wines each week for Life Happens, Let's Talk. By hearing stories from people just like you, as well as guest experts who can help, you'll arrive at your own understanding of the role you play in creating the outcome of your life listen live every monday at 7 a.m pacific time and 10 a.m eastern on the voice america empowerment channel have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world what if you could create beyond your current reality if your relationships finances business health and life could be anything what would they be join heather nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back talking today about these, uh, these complexes that arise in our life that uh, seem to be impossible to heal. And we're learning about how, it's, uh, how we might heal that which is beyond help. So, uh, you know, I said we'd talk this section about this segment of the show about uh, the light. Because Caroline Mice says, The dark night of the soul is a journey into light. A journey from your darkness into the strength and hidden resources of your soul. So, these hidden resources—the ter- the, the, the use of those words, hidden and resources—is a is a very powerful um, little phrase. There, it is. What it's saying is that you know we can live a life uh, up to a certain point. We can live a life that seems very spiritual. That um, it, you know. Gets us to a certain place in our psyche, and then what's a resource after that seems to be hidden. When we get hit that deep dark night of the soul, I've already said that it seems impossible even to believe that there's a healing. It seems impossible to you know uh, feel life that uh, feel that life is um, is not scary, 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 scary really scary, intensely scary, body-shaking scary. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's impossible, it seems, to get past this complex. It's impossible, it seems, to be able to see around the corners, around the edges, to see over to that fine line where I said we can see the Divine, we can look at nature and just see it, we can see that it's there, we can remember old connections to the Divine, we can remember old um, experiences with the Divine. But we can't seem to grasp it when that dark night of the soul comes. We just can't seem to grasp it. And so it's a hidden resource. It's hidden from us. And uh, I think that it's interesting because it also calls up those old um, Bible verses from the book of Psalms where David is running from Saul or he's having to live in caves and running and running and running away where he he says, hide me in the cleft of of thy rock. Or, hide me under your wings. So he wants to be hidden from the horror that he's having to go through. He wants to be protected from it. Um, he, during that same time, he also wrote Psalm 23, which is my favorite psalm, where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Um, and even, he says, Yea, though even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So even while he was going through all this trauma in his life, he was trusting that he was going to be taken care of. So that word hidden calls up those other hidden things as well, that where we can be hidden by the divine from harm. We can be hidden by the divine from from difficult things. I remember a time in my own life when uh, I was working, and um, you've heard me tell this story before, working for a, a difficult, per, a boss who was a difficult personality and um, was asking me to do things that I knew to be unethical. And um, I had to be the one to, call, to say to him that these things were unethical, and he didn't like hearing that from me. And so I knew that eventually he was going to want to fire me. Well, what was interesting about that was that he, he did attempt to fire me, but I already had a job at that point. And, and so it was the day that he attempted to fire me was the same day that I got that other job. So, you know, all that time I was so afraid he was going to fire me, and yet I was protected the whole time. So it, it's like that. There's There are resources that even when we're in the midst of our terrible fear, they, they may be hidden from us, but they are there. They're resources. But what the dark What the dark night of the soul does is it begins to reveal those resources to us, resources in our own soul. These are not resources that are out there from other people. They're resources in our own soul, and that's why it's a time that helps us get to know ourselves better. It helps us to understand ourselves at a deepest, most essential level, and, and that understanding is uh, clarified again and again through... Uh, through the power of the divine within us. But it doesn't become apparent in the dark night of the soul, except that slowly we begin to see. And that seeing is everything. You know, I said a little while ago that we we can see the divine, but we can't grasp it. Well, this kind of seeing that I'm talking about is also grasping. It's also owning. It's also really taking it in. Um, So, what happens as time goes by through the dark night of the soul is we begin to live from our own souls. We don't live from a technique anymore. We don't live from a practice anymore. We live from our own souls. And uh, it becomes more and more apparent that the divine is the deepest essence of who we are. So the more we rely upon the divine the more we become the divine being we already are. And that is what the dark light of the soul can bring to us. It can bring us that place where we understand ourselves as divine beings. That's a really difficult concept for us to really put, wrap our heads around because we've been taught, you know, I remember from being a kid, people laughing at people who thought they were God, you know. Oh, well, he's got a Messiah complex, you know. Or he's got a, uh, you know, he's a little bit crazy. We need to put him in the loony loony bin. I remember hearing those phrases. They're terrible things to say about people uh, being said because they were. What was happening was there was a mockery of anyone who said, who thought of themselves as divine. Now I'm not saying that there isn't a real messiah complex. There is, um, and that complex can be very difficult to deal with for both the person who has it and for the people who are surrounding that person. But. Um, uh, but I am saying that um, you know we've been taught very much in the in the Christian Church, in particular, particularly the more la- the louder Christian Church that we hear about now. Not so much the mystical Christian Church, but uh, but the the louder uh, voice that's going on right now in the public, in the political uh, world as well. We hear that to claim your own power as divine power, to claim divine power, not to claim your own power as divine power, but to claim your power, which is divine, um, is to blaspheme, is to sin against God, the greatest of all sins, which is blasphemy. And uh, so what we're being taught then is that to, to come to, to go through the divinization process, which is what the early church believed in, Um, To go through that process, which is the same process that is put forth in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Dhammapada, in some of the other sacred texts of the world. If we go through that process and really become our deepest soul, we're somehow sinning against God. Which what that does is mean that we have to rely on external rather than internal guidance systems to help us to get through life. And that's the very thing Oprah was talking about in our clip, and she'll be talking about again on her Super Soul Sunday, this coming Sunday, is that whole idea that, that um, we, have, we have an internal guidance system. And I speak a lot about that in my latest book as well, Letting Go of Good, uh, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self. Um, we, are, we are taught that to, to come into full awareness... Of who we are as divine beings, as a deepest sacred self, as a deep soul, um, which is what Jesus taught. And Jesus said, "Don't your scriptures say that you are gods?" Hello, that's what he was saying. And he said much more than that. There are many other verses that declare that we are also gods. But he didn't. But but that's not what gets preached about. What gets preached about is our sin. What gets preached about is how we are going to hell if we don't accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. What gets preached about is how that that um, that essential truth of all mysticism, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or Jainism or uh, the, the Kabbalah of the Jewish uh, religion, uh, that. That is wrong. The mystic mystic religion is wrong according to what's out there in the public awareness today. It's all wrong. It's blasphemy. But I'm telling you that to get through the dark night of the soul, we have to become a mystic. We have to become fully aware of who we are at our deepest, most essential core level. And that's what it takes. And what, what we need to do to get there is, as Jesus said, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So we have to get there by connecting to the divine all day, every day. Connecting and connecting and connecting and connecting and connecting again and again and again. When we're afraid to just own the fear, to be with the fear, to say, I'm afraid. I'm going to give this fear to you um to when we are feeling down, down and discouraged to say i'm down and discouraged and here it is i'm going to give that to you to to know that it's only the divine that's going to heal these things we don't have the power through any kind of spiritual practice to heal them the disciples didn't have any power to heal the boy who was having the, uh, had this unclean spirit this numa akathartan they didn't have that power only prayer had that power and that's that's what we have when we reach a dark night of the soul, we have prayer. What's in your backpack? Prayer. What's in what's in the world of possibility? Don't know. It's up to the divine. Um, and that, that, that power right there brings us to the light. So what is the light? The light is the power to see. And that kind of seeing is also owning our, our truest soul, our truest essence as a divine being. We were made in that light. We were made to be divine beings. We just forgot all that at the tree of knowledge of good and evil because we then began to believe in good and evil instead of we began to believe that there was a deep separation between us and the divine and that that separation keeps us from understanding who we are. And so, you know, today I'm wearing more of my spiritual hat than my clinical hat, but uh, the truth is that there are things that, are, that surpass our capacity to, to deal with them. The, the, there are things that are, are bigger than any practice we've had. They're bigger than any role, any identity, any way of coping, any self-soothing skills, anything like that. It's bigger. Why? Because it's the complex that needs to be catharted. It's the uh, it's the uh, the the breath that we breathe that is all caught up in the, co- the the complex. It's the life that we live that is the complex, and we don't know it. We don't know we're doing that, and we yet we are. And so it comes up so that we can begin to release it. It comes up to be released. It doesn't come up to own us, although it feels that way. It feels like we're being owned by something that is impossible to deal with, but it it comes up so that we can release it and so our job then is to give it to the give it to the divine again and again and, again and again and again and again and again and again and again over and over and over again and then we come into the light and the light is that we begin to see that not only can we give it to the divine but we are the divine we are one with the divine and so we are we are then empowered with our divine nature that quiets us it gives us this deep inner peace that is quiet and gentle and still and open and loving. And that's the power that it has. That's the hidden resources. That's what, what, you know, we've been loudly trying to become spiritual. And then we've realized that the whole journey is just a quiet, gentle inner journey that has an impact on the world when we take it for sure. But... The purpose of it is for us to heal us, and that is when we become aware of those hidden resources, where the dark night of the soul becomes a journey into the light, Um, and that light, again, is is that ability to see who we are. All right, well, that's our show for today. I hope that this has been helpful to you. It certainly has been helpful to me. I think exploring these kinds of things is is, uh, a gift to the teacher as well as to the taught. And uh, so I thank you for listening. And uh, we're going to be back again next week. And Remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
0: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next
1: week.